All righty. All right. So, uh, Scott, it's so good to see you. And we've had been had a conversation, so we turned the video recorder on. So mm -hmm. what's happening? Okay, we're we're talking for quite a bit about this and that, but uh, um, there was a Dhamma question that popped up um, that uh, came from him talking about one of the fetters and um, the fetter that I was going to ask a question about is the craving for non-being, because uh, I experienced uh, the end of the craving for being. And I got to experience um, whatever way you want to think about the word nibbana, whether nibbana just means chilling out and be, being completely chilled out, or nibbana means the cessation of consciousness and perception. I experienced nibbana, and um, I find myself uh, reading some suttas like... Uh, there's a sutta where they're asking the Buddha, the Buddha, is it true that you said that you're, you often abide in voidness? And he says, yes, that is true. I do often abide in voidness. So um, looking at my own meditative capacity, um, I've experienced voidness, but I can't just do it whenever I want to. So there is some craving there that comes up, craving for that experience of total relief and total nibbana and that I'm obviously not experiencing all the time and sometimes there is um, form and there is dukkha there um, even even in the jhanas I can see that there is still dukkha there in the jhanas it's not completely satisfying okay all right um, you've actually asked a whole bunch of different questions I know sorry <laughs> <laughs> and that um, the first thing that we can go for is the cessation of perception and feelings. Mm -hmm. And you said perception and consciousness, and I want to make sure that you understand that consciousness that is not there is when we're either asleep or dead. Okay. All right. Um that we want to, as long as we cling to life and enjoy being alive and have uh, happiness within life, the thing that defines life is consciousness. Right. It's, it's, but it's in fact, it's one of the nutriments. This is one of the reasons why people get confused on some of this stuff when they see consciousness show up as a nutriment. But actually, consciousness is a nutriment for being alive. And that makes sense, because if I wasn't conscious, if, if I, ha I did experience the cessation of conscious, I wouldn't be there to know that I was experiencing it, because I wouldn't be conscious of it. So it is exactly. kind of like, it is kind of, it, it, it is strange to me how people claim experiencing the cessation of consciousness, because wouldn't that be... How do you experience something without being conscious of it, right? Like, That's the whole point, and this is exactly where we go with that part of it called neither perception nor non-perception, okay. is because it takes a tiny bit of perception for consciousness to work. Right. All right, but the more um, 
uh, perception we put into it, then the more we do with it, up to the point of conceptualizations and all of that kind of stuff. And so what we're practicing here is that process of unraveling the perceptional system so that we can get down to just hearing, just seeing. Merely seeing, merely hearing, merely cognize means that we're doing very little perception of it and just letting it be the way that it is. Now, what's the difference between that and fourth jhana? Is fourth this jhana... Is, this is fourth jhana. These are the various things that we do in the fourth jhana and it's all wrapped around perception. Okay. That in fact, you could say then that the first jhana is all wrapped around Vedana. Mm -hmm. Being able to control our feelings. Mm -hmm. And then the higher jhanas would be all around the Salyatana, because we're working with Salyatana. Uh, what is it that we're seeing? What kind of thoughts are we having? Because we're actually changing those now with our um, gladdening the mind. So by gladdening the mind and having wholesome thoughts, that gives rise to being able to control the Vedana. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if we can't control Vedana, there is Tanha, Upadana, caring, frustrations, woefulness states, and uh, not liking. Okay, so uh, the first jhana then would be uh, the process of using our salyatana to get the feelings correct. And then the second and the third jhana is going to be more and more working with those feelings and working with the salyatana down to the fourth jhana is where we now make the shift into perception itself. And how do we perceive things, okay? And if we're perceiving with very little perception, this is where it comes to the point of calling it boundless consciousness, which means it becomes a flood. So the, the, the scene, merely the scene, there's a whole lot of scene just merely seen. Mm. But if we see something and then process it and make something out of it, we're not seeing so much. But if we can see and merely see, then that means that we're not doing a lot of processing. So, uh, going back to computers in the old days, they called it data processing. And these old machines, you could see if you had multiplication of things like that, that in fact an addition would take a machine cycle. So you, if you were just merely printing, then as the card goes in, you can print. But if you've got any mathematics at all to do, it takes extra machine cycles. After you've read the card, it goes to chunk, to chunk, to chunk, and then bang on, it prints. And then it reads another card. It processes it, kachanga, 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 kachanga. And so if you're reading cards at the full speed, then you can process a whole lot of cards, and all you're doing is just taking in the information and printing it out. But if you've got to process that data, then it may take a while. All right, so um, 
let us say that you're uh, uh, converting one language of text. So you read all of this data in, and now you're converting it to another language and then uh, putting it out to the hard drive. That may take a long time to do all of that processing. Guess what? Humans are just like that. We spend more time processing and very little time taking data in. And we're starting to work with that so that we start in uh, not trying to understand our concepts or any of that stuff right. and, and bring this perceptional stuff to an end. Well, guess what? When that happens, feelings come to an end also. That's why they're so peaceful is because we're not generating any saliakana enough to kick us in the butt, the pasta, to make us have any feelings at all. Right. That's really cool. Right. <laughs> Literally cool. I mean, this is what Nirvana is then about, is when we're in yeah. that state. Yeah. And that not only that, but all of the boundaries tend to get loosened up. So you yeah. don't even know where the body is anymore. Yeah. Yeah, no, so, I, the thing is, like, I'll experience this from time to time. But uh, I don't, I can't. Uh, I can't we really don't need to experience it often, though. That's the whole point is, is that once you come to see this is how the mind works, whether you go back into that state or not often is irrelevant. The important point is, is do you have the training to be maintaining your first jhana so that you actually can control the saliatana? Okay. But you can control the way that you feel because you're only a step away from there. Okay. Okay. Uh, a couple, couple of steps away from there uh, in Pasitya Samapada terms. Uh, and that the insight that one gains from that fourth jhana, we can gain it fairly quickly. So I wouldn't say that fourth jhana is a, let us say, a recurring long-term goal. It just kind of happens from time to time. Uh, and there's no big deal to it. It's just empty. Uh -huh. The important thing is, 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 are you still conscious? That's the issue. Can you remain conscious without processing the data so much? Okay. Like aware, okay. fully aware. Right. Right. And so you're aware of the breathing, you're aware of the body, you can be aware of the heartbeat, you can be aware of the silence, you can be aware of the crickets, anything that happens. And they happen one by one as they occur. They come into consciousness. I feel like that's where the energy comes into play, the energy enlightenment factor, because it's hard to be that fully aware without energy. Um, it, because but that's that where... That's yeah. the developed right effort. Right. That's when the effort to push that swing gets really easy. It's hard to get it going. It takes some effort to get it going. But yeah. once we get it going, then just touching it is enough. We've also seen that with pushing the car off. Nowadays, kids don't push off the cars. But we used to push them off. You know, the battery goes down or whatever like that. And getting the car rolling is hard. And that's the problem with the Goenka retreats and the Mahasi retreats is because they just start pushing. Just pushing and pushing. They don't build up. They're not strong enough. Yeah, they don't recognize that that momentum is built up. Okay, so that, 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 effort, that energy that we're talking about, the uh, unremitting uh, energy that comes from the Sambhajana, 
is actually developed right effort. Uh, and we got it. We got our energy. We got our mojo. We got our uh, I can do attitude. It's almost all attitude anyway. That the, the really, really big muscle bound strong man cannot lift an easy weight if he's convinced it's too heavy for him. Uh, this is what hypnotism is really all about. Uh, okay. Uh, so it's his attitude and his muscles. That reminds me that there's a certain mental trick that uh, we, I do, we do as some weightlifters do when you put on more weight on the bar than you've ever put on before, you psychologically tell yourself that you're lifting a lighter weight. So you, you say, oh, this is the normal way I always do. And then magically, because you, you're able to like push it up because you, in your mind that that's lightweight. So you're able exactly. to like push through it. Exactly so. This is in a way we're saying that we create our own reality yeah. in reality uh -huh. because we think that five extra kilograms is going to be heavier but if the mental attitude is you no know, this five kilograms actually makes the thing wider yeah right okay exactly. this is the power of our perception this uh -huh. is the power of how the mind works and we can create that mm -hmm. and this is what then that fourth genre is all about is to see how powerful our perceptions are because it's the, and the perceptions are always present moment uh, input mixed with the past. The question is how deep and dark is that past that we're mixing it with, or is it a pleasant recent past? This is why we want to keep practicing so that we can build up some pleasant realities for ourselves and convince ourselves that we can have a pleasant reality. Uh -huh. And, and so, um, it's the placebo effect. Right, right, right. It, uh, the, the question is, how much do you believe? Then, in fact, the little statement that is said often in the Christian church, if you believe in Jesus correctly, you will be saved. Mm. Okay? But the point is, is that are you saved or not? Yeah, I'm saved. I've got that attitude. Right. And that's what saves us, not yeah. Jesus. Yeah, there's another Christian saying. I think um, I forgot. I don't know if it was uh, from Meister Eckhart or some other Christian mystic. But uh, there's a Christian uh, line that goes, Lord, you are the love for which I love thee. So it's kind of like that meta that we we're talking about before. It's mm -hmm. the very love that I love God with is God. So it's like. That, that is God, right. Yeah, God is, is God. love. That's Correct. it. Exactly. Yeah. And so when we, uh, we can also use that, because that word doesn't mean a lot for some people, but even for atheists, the word God has a very high quality to it. And so as I breathe in, I breathe in God. Uh, yeah. As I breathe out, I breathe out and let all it go back to God. Okay. Right. This is actually where the word atmosphere comes into play. Atmos, mm, yeah, ata, 
Uh, yeah, uh-huh. And so this is the big God, or this is the big it, is the actual breathing. The, uh, the mechanism is, is that we breathe God in and out on a regular basis. We're just not paying attention to it. But if we start thinking about it in that context, then that will put it into very, very wholesome terms for people. Mm-hmm. They can go to uh, very beautiful states of, of mind that way. Right, right. Uh, and hopefully if they practice that often enough, then they'll be able to do it often enough. Right. But that leads me to another question, which is, this is kind of a nuanced um, problem that comes from someone who's attained that level of, uh, I don't know, what is it, mystical experience or just whatever you want to call it, uh, boundless jhanas. They may have experienced boundless jhana through a way other than other than the Dhamma or other than the teachings of the Buddha. So they may have used God as a way to experience boundless jhana, but then mm-hmm. but now they create a, a ground of being that they sort of worship and rely on. So they they make boundless consciousness God instead of realizing that that too is impermanent. And that's not absolute, and that's not eternal either. Do you have any thoughts well, about that? Yes, that can be dangerous when they, um, they, now that they recognize that the atmos is there all around us, now they want to start relying upon it. Right. Okay, just like, uh, oh, I've had four jhana, why can't I do it again? Well, it's because you didn't want it in the first place that you got it. Now that you want right. it, you can't have it because you've got desire mixed in there. Okay, so yeah. it's the same thing exactly uh, in this case. Um, that if if we can go through a guided meditation or uh, some similar event the first time and get ourselves into that, uh, oh, the kingdom of God is within you, which right. is actually Theos Basilica. You've heard the word basilica, really, really big cathedral kind of thing, an open space, okay? Right. And we can get that feeling of expansiveness, which is yeah. emptiness. Yeah, and right? I hear people, sometimes people call it vast, spacious awareness or something mm-hmm. like that. So, like, similar type of thing. Uh, Pre- precisely so. Once we've had that experience through doing it in that procedure, we want to short circuit the procedure and say, I remember that, let me do it. And they can't do it. Right. Rather than know it was a step-by-step procedure that we had to go through uh, to get ourselves into that state. Uh, Let's makes- start finding out what that really is all about. Okay, so you actually now remember asking a question about um, the the, uh, the terms in the Pali is uh, uh, Rupa Raga and Arupa Raga. Form. Okay. Well, that's the word Raga actually is the word is translated into form. But we can better get a word that we have in our vocabulary called reality. Okay. Okay. So Rupa is reality. Just like the Buddha Rupa is actually a statue of the Buddha or a representation, but it's a physical thing. All right. The Buddha Rupa. All right. So. 
uh, uh, Rupa Raga, the word Raga here has to do with attachment. And so Rupa Raga would be kind of associated with fear of death. Right. People want to stay. It's uh-huh. the conservative position. Uh-huh. Okay. And that uh, uh, it's best to understand it psychologically rather than uh, at very uh, strong or heavy duty levels as wanting to go. All right. Here you are in a restaurant doing whatever you're doing in that restaurant, maybe with the people or whatever like that. And then you look at your clock and you say, oh, it's time to go. Yeah, I have that feeling. I know that okay. feeling. Okay, do I go? Do I stay? Do I go? Do I stay? I ran into that and became, became familiar with it because it happened about once a year for several years in a row okay. that my dad would change um, his company, would send him to a new town to develop. That he oh. developed uh, uh, meter reading routes and, and put in the pipe and all of that kind of stuff. And then when they got the, the natural gas installed in the town, he would go to the next town taking his family with him. Okay. And what I found was is that sometimes I could make friends in a town, and then I didn't want to go because I had friends. And in other times, I would want to go. I've had enough of this place. Mm-hmm. And then, in fact, my mom expressed that and found out that the whole family was so glad to leave that town. Mm. That was, by the way, Sherrall, South Carolina. Okay. Boy, were we happy to leave that town. Nobody ever been, was able to fit into that place. Okay. Uh, and, and so that's the, that's the basis of it. That's the Jimmy Durante song. Have you ever had the feeling that you wanted to go? You wanted to go and you wanted to stay, stay, go go stay okay that is what this uh, rupa a rupa raga is all about do i want to stay in this reality or do i want to go right do i I want want to that's i wanted to go so that's what led to you know the a rupa well we will eventually really have to go we will check out we will pull the plug and that's what it is at the ultimate limit is, is that are we ready to go and ready to stay? Right, right. That's that's the middle way. Yeah, yeah, the middle path is the division between those is that we're ready to go and we're ready to stay. And everything is okay. As opposed to that catch-22 or that back and forth. <laughs> that comes I want to circle. go, I want to stay. Uh-huh. <laughs> it comes circle back to first jhana, doesn't it? Ah, it so does. It really does. Whoop-de-doo. <laughs> um, by the way, those fetters, those higher fetters, are not even in the suttas. Well, there, uh, there's one, one or, I think, just one place in the Samyutta Nikaya and also in the Abhidhamma. Hmm. And so that's why we don't talk much about the higher fetters, but uh, it's fairly easy to mention all of them now that we've mentioned this this pair. Um, and I used to think that oh, there's no reason to talk about the higher jhanas or the higher fetters because people have so much stuff with the lower fetters already anyway. But that's not true. We sometimes need the information on how to practice correctly. Okay, we talk about friendship a lot, 
Well, there is this fetter called manna, which has to do with competition, mm -hmm. competing with other people, comparing ourselves to others. Mm -hmm. And we need to stop doing that and let everybody be a winner. Mm -hmm. Because the outcome of um, uh, that comparison is either going to be pride or jealousy. Those are your two options. Mm -hmm. The thing that's most amusing is, though, is that we set it up in advance with our own criteria. Everybody goes into a, into a game with a different set of criteria than everybody else. And mm -hmm. we play according to our own criteria, which means we set it up to whether we're going to win or lose. Right. Okay. And now we have the issue about um, the distinction between jealousy and envy come up in there. The difference that's between that's jealousy and ill will. Well, right. Both of them are ill will. Here's the thing. If you have, uh, let's use it from a woman's perspective. If you have a husband and he has a girlfriend, then you are jealous and the girlfriend is jealous of each other. Why? Because they want the affections. And in fact, we see jealousy right here in these dogs. I'm petting one and the yeah. other one will come up and wimp up and be there and they'll start growling at each other and things yeah. like this will happen unless I pay attention to both of them. Okay. But envy is something else because envy means that uh, uh, the wife has her husband and I want him and I don't have him. Okay. Okay. So one is to try to get. That's envy. I want. And jealousy okay. is ill will I'm trying to get rid of. Yeah. But those two things happen yeah. when we uh, are in a competition. Right. The next one is restlessness, which actually is based upon fear. If we can get the fear out, then the restlessness will subside. This right. is actually what we've been talking about in the sense of going into the fourth John is actually stopping yeah. the restlessness that is perception of the wanting fear. to know. The fear in your body, like the tension in your body, right? At a gross level, but now we're talking about it at a very subtle level. Okay. Perception itself is based in fear because we want to know. Because uh -huh. if we don't know, it may be dangerous. Right, right. Okay, I see what you're saying now. Okay. Okay. And yeah. so what we have to do then is wrestle with the next letter, the last one, is ignorance. Mm -hmm. Can you be satisfied and happy and not know something that's a burning question? If it's a burning question, you can't be satisfied and happy. You want answers to that question. Mm -hmm. And this happens within meditation. A lot of the students will say, oh, well, I've got a question here. Do I do this or do I do that in the meditation? The answer is you don't need to have the answer to that question. Just relax anyway. Yeah. That we don't need to know that much information. And so there's all the five higher fetters, and we deal with those on a regular basis. Everybody does. They're not higher at all. Mm that in fact we should not be calling them higher and in the poly they're not referred to as higher. What they're referred to is a rupa. Mm. Formless, which means it all happens in the mind. Mm -hmm. That's where those higher fetters are. The, the, uh, the lower fetters with, with ignorance and selfishness and all of that can be easily seen. Mm -hmm. 
greed, ill will can easily be seen. They have they 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 have representation of this um, in Hinduism too with the deities. They have Shiva, which represents the formless consciousness or the formlessness, and Shakti represents the manifested forms. And it's like and it's like it's kind of like a symbol of things that the the masculine trait of the cosmos is formless and the fe uh, feminine uh, trait of the cosmos is what makes form and ultimately they're dance partners so they're like dancing together in like perfect harmony um, so that I mean that that's like a parallel I see like sometimes I find parallels between the Dhamma and other um, traditions it seems like there's a there's lot, a lot of it. Everything that's good about any of the religions is going to have Dhamma right there. <laughs> yeah, Dhamma's the unsurpassed, though. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, that in fact Jesus was an excellent Buddhist teacher. They just forgot that he was Buddhist. They thought right. he was a god. <laughs> uh, no, I've stu I've studied I've studied extensively a lot of the different mystical traditions, like. I studied Christian mysticism, uh, uh, Hindu Advaita, um, even some shamanism or like Native American stuff. And um, oh, Taoism is another one I studied. Like I read the Tao Te Ching. And um, although there's truth to be found in all of them, there's no teaching that is sublime as the teaching of the Buddha. Like nothing as articulated and nothing as geniusly put together in a way where there's no like it's hard to mess it up like there's no traps uh, whereas the other there's so many um there's so many like potholes that you can fall into following the other paths like spiritual traps much of that has to do with the fact that it's storytelling it conveys the truth and the wisdom through storytelling yeah and, and there's, there's often a lot like that too, though, right? With the story. There's yes, a there's a lot, of, a lot of storytelling within Buddhism also. Huh. But the the point though is is that the storytelling in the Buddhism is is that we know that this is a metaphor. Hmm. Within the other religions, they forget right, right. that it's a metaphor and they think that it's real. Okay, right. and, and and the classic example is the story of Adam and Eve eating yeah. of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They turn it has a perfectly a understanding, except that in religion it winds up being who's the snake? Who? Why is the snake talking? Uh, the woman did it first. Uh, God threw him out of paradise. Where's that fig leaf coming from? And who ever <laughs> heard of an apple? You know, there's just all of this stuff that's so, built around it because they miss the actual um, moral of the story. Yeah. Yeah. But in fact, there's a story about the, the tortoise and the hare, you know, yeah. the race. But that, yeah. that, that Aesop fable has at least a half a dozen different morals. Yeah. And and the Buddha and the Buddha says when he does tell a story like that he explicitly explicitly says it's a simile. So in yes. the simile of the snake, in this mm -hmm. I have explained in many ways in the simile of the etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So he's he's like telling him he's like this isn't a magical thing. This is 
Right. Uh, this is just a story we're telling to point to get you to point at what's real. Yeah. Because analogies have a powerful way to convey meaning that can't be spoken in words. Like like the similes can convey something that it the rational mind doesn't have access to it. So like the way that thinks 100% logically is limited to an extent. So sometimes we need like a story or something to get us out of that questioning mind that always has more questions, right? Always more questions, right. And so the, the questions are actually both a cause and an effect, and that the underlying point is confusion because we don't know. And that the natural feeling that comes up with the, the, the lack of knowing and confusion is the fear of the unknown. Mm. And this is what we want to deal with by saying directly, it's okay that I don't know how to practice Anapanasati correctly with every fact and feature. All I need to do is have a happy mind. Right. Right. And so uh, doing it that way. But the Western mind is taught that, oh, you've got to get it down correctly. You've got to, you know, uh, Elon Musk talks about the difference between a prototype and production. Mm. Right. All we need is a prototype. We don't need production. We need to keep making new prototypes over and over and over again. But we think that we've got to get it down into production. We've got to get it down exactly correctly. Uh, And then we can't even get started. Uh, it, it comes up to the, the story of the centipede. Mm. <laughs> this is just a simile, just a story. But I think that it was a um, uh, some creature came up to the centipede and said, my, I see what you're doing there. How do you know which foot to move? And the centipede rolled over and he moved one or two legs and then he rolled over in the other two legs and finally he just rolled over upside down and says, I don't know. (laughs) You ask me a question, I don't know the answer to it. (laughs) You just Uh, do it. (laughs) And so that's the kind of the way that we need to practice Anapanasati is that we don't have to know all the details. (laughs) That's that's that fetter of ignorance. We think Uh that we've got to know everything before we do anything. Mm -hmm. That I was like that a bit in music. That when I was in high school, and this was in the Deep South, very classically oriented, and so uh, if the piece of music wasn't, you know, a hundred years old, I mean, Bella Bartok, she was too modern. We had to go back to Beethoven, and maybe Dvorak was the end of it, but uh, Gershwin was certainly too young, out of the question. Okay. Uh, but the whole point was, is that I was trying to play music that was too hard for me. That I wouldn't play music that I could play. I tried to play music that was beyond my skill level. Mm -hmm. And that was completely frustrating, but I didn't know that at the time. Mm -hmm. It was only in reflection later that I recognized I'm trying to do too much. And this is what we do with meditation. We try to get too much. We're uh, thirsty for the end goal. Mm -hmm. Rather than being happy, whatever happens in this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever like happens been, this is good enough right that's what I've been learning time and time again is just always coming back to the basics of yeah this is good enough and just getting back into a 
state of satisfaction, wholesome mind, and no worries. Oh, there's a, there's an inner Isn't child. Isn't that marvelous? Just, yeah. That's just enough. And yeah. I don't have to have the answers to all of those questions. And I can and I can mess up and I can have warts and I don't mm-hmm. have to be a hundred percent perfect angel all the time and that's okay too. And I'm fine just the way I am. You're fine just the way you are. Self acceptance. And so many there's talked about a lot, but so many people don't get it because they don't keep practicing it. Right. They'll sit down on the wart and they start complaining. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because we're in the habit of complaining instead of accepting the way things really are is good enough. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, that's so enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you so much for this call, Domorado. This has been great. I've really enjoyed it too. We've covered those uh, uh, a group of betters, as well as everything, and you can also see how those betters fit into the practice itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything fits right in there, and, it, and the basic bottom line is fear. Can we come out of our fear and become confident? Yeah, I mean, that's that's another thing that sparked a lot of uh, enthusiasm for the Dhamma is how interrelated it is. Like, this part relates to this part. Even though this part seems far from advanced, it's actually it's actually part of this first part. And there's <laughs> it's it's it, bl- it kind of blows your mind. So it, it just like you it almost makes you 100 percent convinced that this guy knows what he's talking about because of how how good it like laces together it's like it's profound yeah it's profound it's uh really really profound it really is all right scott i've really enjoyed our conversation we'll talk to you later good to see you you, i really have a good friend with you thank you likewise see you soon